0: If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to the book of Zephaniah, fourth book from the end of the Old Testament. We'll be reading Zephaniah chapter 1 in its entirety. Zephaniah 1, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks, along with the wicked. I will cut off from the fa- man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priest and the pagan priest. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought to the Lord nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has invited his guest. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed in foreign apparel. In the d- that same day I will punish all who leap over the threshold, who fill their masters' houses with violence and deceit. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Well, you inhabitants of Meachitish, at- Mek- for the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not be good, nor will he do evil. Therefore, their goods shall become booty, their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuge. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all who dwell in the land. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. God and Father, We come before you this morning. We come to study, to learn from your word. When you gave Israel the Ten Commandments, you told them to ever fix them on their hearts. You said, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Help us this morning to take the words you give us And use them to guide our hands into the works that show you our love and appreciation. Grant that we can hear the truth they proclaim. And bind that truth on our lives that others can see and know that you are the God and Savior of all men. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the interesting things, not openly found in Zephaniah, is the teaching of the Messiah that's not to say you can't find the Messiah in this book. It is there. Throughout most of the Old Testament, there's a central focus on the coming one. You don't see that in Zephaniah or in the other prophets from this era, Habakkuk and Nahum. The message Zephaniah brings is, as old Palmer Robertson shows, Theocentric. God is central in every thought and the framework that develops all the knowledge. We see God's attributes in all the actions of Zephaniah's day. We see God as a jealous God, one who exacts his wrath on those who stand against him. God is the force that comes against those who oppose him. It is God who called forth the Babylonians to punish Judah. However, it's God who alone is the one truth in the life and life worth having and holding to. The day of judgment is rightly called the day of the Lord. Because he he alone, as the sovereign Lord Almighty, is the only one who can afford such a judgment. This is showing that it is God alone who takes on this role of Savior. A warrior for his people. He is the king, the king who loves his people, who provides everything they need, especially these things they cannot provide for themselves. Therefore, the Messiah is hidden in Zephaniah. Zephaniah sees there is but one God. It may well be that the threat of losing everything was the very thing that developed in his mind and heart, as Mr. Robertson shows, as the permeating God-centeredness. Zephaniah knew God and his creation were inseparable. He saw a true man of the covenant and would never belittle the material world God made. His life view was tied to the idea God made this world and gave his promises concerning life in his word. This morning, we see the theme of the day of the Lord expanded as well as the continuation of the terrible circumstances associated with this day's coming. What we find is the narrowing of the focus of the judgment. We first see the cosmic judgment that will fall on all of mankind. He moves from that to Judah and Jerusalem specifically. He then comes to the individuals involved, the priest and the king's sons. This study on the judgment of God can and does become very personal. We like to sit back and only consider judgment in a very broad sense. Today it is very necessary that we look at the judgment of our nation for its national sins. But those national sins could never have become so prominent. If the churches, the churches of our land, had not sinned so against God in abandoning their role to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. These churches could never have abandoned the gospel if the individuals in the pew had not become lazy and unwilling to fight for the truth. This means you have to take what you hear in this book and apply its message to your own heart. So much of Christianity today has become nothing more than moral entertainment. Moral entertainment will accomplish nothing in your life or at least nothing good in your life. There is not one in this room that doesn't need to take an inventory of their spiritual life. For far too many are only playing at church. They are not making a real effort to worship God in a way that would please him. What Zephaniah is doing in this book is challenging you to examine your spiritual life. Let's continue our look at chapter 1 now. Last week we considered the reversal of creation itself caused by this coming judgment. We also looked at the removal of God's covenant people. This week we will continue as we hear the destruction of all the peoples. That will be followed by learning of the terror of God's plan. Zevaniah turns his attention to the destruction that will come to Judah and her leaders. Verses 8 and 9. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed in foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all who leap over the threshold who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Now, on this last day, on the day of judgment, Zephaniah says judgment will begin with the leadership of the nation. He declares the princes and the king's sons will be punished. What about the king? Why is the threat of divine wrath not upon the king? What Zephaniah is writing is was founded on the book, on what he read in the book of the law. The book King Josiah found, that's the book of Deuteronomy. In taking the book and studying it, taking to heart what he learned, Josiah acted commendably. It would have pleased God that by his acceptance of God's word and his desire to follow God's commands, things were changing. Therefore, he would not be subject to the same treatment accorded to those who were being disobedient. Zephaniah points directly to those who are not obedient, to the princes of the king's sons. Now understand the two oldest sons of Josiah, that's Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, were just children of ten and twelve years of age when Josiah found the book of the law, and as Zephaniah was writing his prophecy. It's clear in this last in this that the reforms Josiah worked so hard to implement were only external. External, as far as the people were concerned. It didn't take them long after his death to get his sons to reverse them. Zephaniah also identifies another group that will be first in the judgment. He says, all such as are clothed in foreign apparel. This is considered by many commentators to be the priest who wore the garments of false gods. The clothes of the priests of God and the priest of the false gods would have been different. This can be seen in an account in, of, from Israel, the king, when King Jehu, who was made king by God after Ahab died. Uh, he killed Jezebel, Ahab's wife, because of her wickedness. And he destroyed the priest of Baal she had set up. He called them all together to come into the temple. He said, I'm going to be a, I'm going to worship Baal better than Jezebel I ever thought about worshiping Baal. So he called all of the priests of Baal to come to the temple. And he said, make sure that you're wearing the proper garments when you come. He lured them into a trap and he slaughtered them. Jesus uses this same concept in the parable of the king's wedding feast in Matthew 22. As the feast begins, there's found a man there who's not in the proper wedding garment. Now, when you came into the feast... They would give you the proper wedding garment to put on. And somehow this man got in without putting that garment on. So what does he do? The man takes him out and casts him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, he was thrown into hell because he didn't have the garment of Christ's blood on when he came into the temple. Jesus is making the point of Israel's rejection of him and their judgment of that rejection. Zevaniah also shows the judgment will come not only to the king's sons, the nobles and priests, but on anyone who fails to be obedient. He says, in the same day I will punish all who leap over the threshold. This would mean anyone who engaged in the superstitious practices of the Philistines. Now they had the god Dagon. And if you might remember in Samuel, when, when they, they took the, Eli's sons took the Ark of God, it was captured by the Philistines. They took it and put it in the temple with Dagon. Well, the next morning they come in and Dagon's laying on his face. Well, they stand him back up. The next morning they come in, he's laying on his face with his heads and his hands laying on the threshold of the, the temple. And from that point on, they would never step on the this, this threshold of the temple. Oh. Uh, So this means anyone who engages in those types of superstitious practices. He pairs this with a focus on people who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. What this shows is a people, Mr. Robertson says, who observe the minutiae of senseless pagan law, but then run rampant over the basic ordinances of God in his own house. What we learn here is that once when the earth was filled with violence in Noah's day, God destroyed it. In seven eyes day, the temple is filled with violence and must also be destroyed. Jesus, when he came into the world, found the same kind of senseless violence violence in the world. They killed him because of it. They brought destruction against the whole nation of Israel through their acts. What does that tell you about today? We need to make a case for today and what's going on today. We have failed. We have failed to follow God's word and to worship as He has called us to worship. Superstition is growing and, and coming in so many churches. They begin to make such superstition the very ground of what they believe. We see we are seeing in places around the world, a senseless violence against those who believe in the true and living God. It is imperative that those who are true believers prepare themselves for the day of the Lord, for it is near. You cannot afford to play church anymore. You have to get serious about knowing God, lest you be taken unaware. Zephaniah continues to narrate this coming judgment. He shows how this judgment will fall on every section of the city. Verses 10 and 11. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Well, you inhabitants of McActish, for the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. You can see in this how the people are losing all hope. The judgment has come down to their own neighborhood. This fish gate is part of the northern side of the city, and it would be where most of the attacks against the city would begin. This new quarter was a part of the city added by Manasseh when he extended the north wall. Around Jerusalem on the hills, many idols had been set up. The crashing herd from the hills is the destruction by Josiah of those idols and temples. Verse 11 presents a challenge because it is very difficult to translate. The meaning of the word miaktish is not altogether clear. The NIV translates it marketplace. Many go with marketplace because of what follows, and it can't see anything, I can't see anything that would be a better explanation. He is showing that there is no economic class that will be spared in this time of judgment. All businesses will be ended. The marketplace itself, as well as all the merchants, will be destroyed. This would mean that the poor masses who were dependent on the markets for their daily needs would be utterly devastated. This judgment is affecting every level of society. To this point, Zephaniah had called out to the political, religious, and commercial leadership as objects of this coming judgment. Is falling on all of them. None of these people with their power and influence will be able to deliver themselves from this terrible day of the Lord. Their pleading, howling, and wailing on this day of judgment will be utterly and absolutely hopeless. The whole city will be cast into despair and their hearts racked with guilt. His warning to this city is this day is coming and it is coming soon. Zephaniah says there will be a search verse 12 and it shall come to pass at that time that i will search jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency who say in their hearts the lord will do no good will not do good nor will he do evil this search will be by the eye of god none absolutely none shall escape his gaze He will look into every hiding place and will pull them out so they can receive their punishment. Here's where it really comes home. Now we have a tendency to think if we haven't done anything too bad, we'll be all right. But this shows that God will bring out for judgment those who have been uninvolved, indifferent, and skeptical. The person who cries, I didn't know, will find himself under God's wrath. The person who claims, I couldn't do it, what you asked of me, will be cast into the fire of judgment. The person who thought they had seen that God would do nothing good or bad will be condemned. Those whose hearts grow cold and thick like wine left on its dregs will be punished for their uselessness. Those who speak well of God but whisper in their hearts, Insults at him will fall into the pit. My friends, you need to examine your hearts. You must make sure you're not playing games with God, for you will lose. How can you prepare for this terrible day? Verses 13 and 14a. Therefore their goods shall become booty, their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. These people had said God could do nothing for them, good or bad. This is the ultimate insult. The ultimate insult against God, the creator, the one who sustains all life and redeems his people. Because of this insult, Therefore, their goods shall become booty, their houses of desolation. When God brought these people into the promised land, you might remember, he warned them not to think they had anything to do with earning it. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 through 18, he tells them to remember. He gave it all to them. This judgment comes because they failed to remember that. They fail to remember God was the one who provided for them. They're going to fall into an absolutely frustrated state. They will build houses, that, that, but they'll never enjoy them. They will plant vineyards and never be refreshed by them. All their labor will be fruitless. In the Garden of Eden, the curse came upon man, he would have to labor for his provisions. When God gave Israel the promised land, they received houses, wells, cities, and vineyards they didn't build. All these things were given. Given them freely through the covenant God made with them. But they violated the covenant. So God took away all he gave them as punishment for their treason. The most terrifying aspect of all of this is that what Zephaniah shows in verse 14a. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The prophet adds here the word great as it refers to this day of the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy, there were many references to what would happen if the children of Israel were to violate the covenant. Deuteronomy 28.20 The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke and all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. Zephaniah says that day is at hand. It's near, very, very near. The idea of this nearness is seen through Scripture even in the New Testament, Matthew 24, 33. So you also, when you see all things, know that it is near at hand at the doors. In Philippians 4, 5, and Revelation 1, 3, and Revelation 20:10, 20, 10, 10, you hear that the Lord is near and the time is near. Paul tells you in Romans 13, 11, our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Because all men are sinners. All men fall short of keeping the covenant of God. They have to be ready in every generation to face the judgment of God. There's only one way, only one way to prepare to face such a terrible time, and that is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can face the judgment of God in Jesus Christ because he came. He fulfilled the covenant on your behalf, and because of him and your faith in him, God will forgive your sins and receive you under his covenant banner. Jesus Christ came into this world to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived the perfect life you could never live. He died the atoning death you had to have in order to come before God. And he won the resurrection victory in order to open heaven's gate for you. It is in Christ and Christ alone that you can be delivered from this judgment. There is no other way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Zephaniah is showing you is the terrifying day of the theophany where God's wrath is revealed. A theophany is an appearance of God. The first major theophany we read about in the Bible is at Mount Sinai when God appears on the mountain to Israel and gives Moses the Ten Commandments. His appearance on the mountain was in fire and cloud, and it terrified the people, even though his purpose there was to make a covenant with them. In Zephaniah, God tells of another theophany, one in which he comes to inflict his punishment on the people's failure to keep the covenant. Verse 14b, The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. The great warrior, the hero of past battles, He'll be there, and he will cry out in distress because of the horror he sees. The terror of the coming day will be horrific, and even those who have known battle will be shocked and afraid. At Mount Sinai, God came for the people so they could hear his voice when he declared his lordship over them. And the Theophanes of Anah comes to bring bitterness for their rejection of the God's lordship. They deserted him. They turned away from him. zephaniah gives a description of this coming day. Verses 15 and 16. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Now, we can find a common thread in these verses with what was said of God's appearance in Deuteronomy at Mount Sinai. The signs at Mount Sinai caused distress, but here they bring great anguish. At Sinai, Moses stood on the mediator as the mediator between the people and God, but here there is no mediator. There's no mediator. The full wrath of God falls on those who are uninhibited. It comes without any inhibitation at all. The prophet has repeatedly referred to other manifestations of the covenant from Noah's day, Abraham's day, and Moses' day. This all to provide a covenantal framework for the understanding of this appearance of God on this great day of judgment. We have already shown in Moses' day the distress that accompanied the Lord's appearance over against the anguish accompanying his wrath. At Mount Sinai, the presence of God caused trouble in the hearts of sinful men. But comfort was given because God was calling them to follow him and be his people. In this coming day of the Lord, it will be more than trouble that comes to them. It will be ruined for they have failed to keep the covenant he made with them at Sinai. He tells them there was darkness on the Sinai, but on this coming day there will be darkness and gloom. Thick darkness that will overwhelm and make them helpless. You may remember in the plagues of Egypt. One of those plagues was a darkness so thick, they said no one could even move around. The darkness coming on the day of the Lord will be a thick spiritual darkness. It will leave the people under judgment paralyzed and unable to seek relief. He continues to tell them this judgment will be accompanied by a day of clouds and thick darkness picture of clouds throughout the old testament always goes along with an appearance of god remember at sinai the mountain was covered with clouds even in the new testament clouds were always present when god appears as happened at the transfiguration of christ and in his ascension in acts in his coming and judgment those clouds will be dark so dark he describes them as just simply blackness Last, he shows this day as a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Cities with strong walls and high towers will fall at the blast of his trumpet. They will crumble as did the towers of Jericho. There will be no human defense against this day of the Lord. They shall all fall under the voice of God's wrath. In verse 17, we see humanity at the center of this coming wrath and its devastation. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuge. Two things stand out in this. The fact God brings distress on the people, and that men walk in blindness. This is the result of violating God's covenant. You can't fail to keep that covenant and expect he will do nothing. So many people today are only playing at church. They go but only to be social. Don't expect them to study and seek to grow in their understanding. Don't ask them to take God's word seriously. They only want to hear from it what pleases them. They may claim they believe it's infallible and inerrant, but they don't allow it to build their doctrinal understanding. How blessed you are to live in this day and time when God has opened his word for you. The undeserved favor of God is clearly displayed for you and shows the removal of this blindness if you believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61.1 The Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus used these very words in his inauguration for his ministry. He came to give sight to the blind, and it was giving sight to the blind that became the sign of the coming of his kingdom. In the middle of this verse is the truth about what brought this judgment and caused this blindness. They have sinned against the Lord. Check your hearts, my friends. Are you living in unconfessed sin against the Lord? If you are, get ready. Blindness will overwhelm you and the wrath of an angry God will consume you. The only way to avoid that is to come to Jesus Christ. Come confessing your sin and turning from it. If you don't, he gives a very graphic picture of your doom. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuge. So has gone from a universal judgment in verses 2 and 3 to a more specific judgment on Judah and Jerusalem in verses 4 through 17. Now he turns to the universal judgment. Verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all who dwell in the land. He says nothing, nothing any man has will buy his release from this sentence of judgment. When the day of the Lord comes, all men will stand before the throne of God. They can offer nothing to judge to the judge to freedom. This holy judge will in his great jealousy cast all into hell who refuse to hear his command and obey his voice. They will be consumed, separated forever from God. He will bring this world as we know it to an end, and all who live in it in rebellion toward him will die. This first chapter of Zephaniah is a clear treatise on the wrath of God. This great day of the Lord is coming and is coming soon. God will on that day destroy everyone and everything that has not kept his covenant. Mr. Robertson says this terrible judgment is inevitable and unavoidable and it is coming soon. Some might ask at this point, why study such a harsh book since we have Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul tells you in Rome, in 1 Corinthians 10 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. God's covenant, the covenant of works, has been completely fulfilled for everyone who will hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and did everything the law required for you. He paid the price for your failure in not keeping this covenant of God. He returned to his Father's right hand to intercede and speak for all who would believe in him. You can survive the judgment of God if you place your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. You have to stop playing religious games and get serious about what the scriptures teach about God, about his character, about his only begotten son and about his church. If you don't, Then the example of this judgment will become a reality you will not enjoy and will not be able to escape. Through this message, the gospel comes shining ever so brightly to call you to repent of your sins and to believe on Jesus Christ as the one sent to save your soul. Let's pray. Gracious God. Merciful Father, we come to the close of our worship with thankful hearts for your word and for the lessons we learn from it. You have told us that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is that he is the Christ, the one who is born for you, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how you have taught us to love your children. We love them by loving you and carrying out your commands. You have shown what it means to love you. It is to obey your commands. And we know your commands are not burdensome. We know those born of you will overcome the world. This is our victory, and it comes by faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.